Welcome back to another episode of Tech Comedy Life. It's just me, VJ, this time, and I'm doing a one-on-one chat with a good friend and startup entrepreneur, Jared Gabriel. I met him through my wife, and she's an avid blogger, and she has worked with Jared's wife for quite a while. This is where I got to meet him, and it turns out he has built tech companies while working at a bank. Thanks for joining the chat, and tell us more. Who is Jared Gabriel? Hi. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just a, a curious person that's obsessive over tech. Um, worked in tech most of my life and uh, dabbled in all different areas around tech. So entrepreneurship seemed to be uh, a great avenue for me because it allowed me to stop getting bored and scratch that itch of trying different things out. I fully understand what you mean. That itch is a powerful one. It is the biggest driver in getting me into starting my own business. There is no medication or cure for this itch. And the only way to realize it was to manifest what was in my mind and execute it in real life. It was what I truly love doing. What made you decide to get into the startup space and not just any other business? For example, running a corner store or running a franchise. Um, sure. That's weird. Like uh, when I was younger, um, I was like a typical guy that was into computers, uh, building computers, playing games. And I remember there was this article by this uh, game developer um, in PC format. Uh, you probably remember mm. that magazine here. And it was by yeah, it was by Dan Wagner. And he said that the secret to success was like, figure out what you love doing and then find a way to make money out of it. So I knew I loved computers. Uh, no one was paying me for it, but I spent enough hours playing around with them. Um, and it was just kind of like a natural progression from building it for friends, spending, I don't know, 18 hours of my day playing with them that I figured, look, this sounds like a, a good space to go into. Um, of course, I wanted to do a lot of other things as well, but tech seemed like a cool f- place that allowed me to continue playing with computers. Well, actually, when I started off, I was, um, I was really into like the whole hacking space and I was into uh, understanding how networks work and got involved in a lot of that type of, uh, let's just say, activities. So it kept me busy. And um, when I went to school and university, it was kind of like a natural progression where you end up like this arrogant kid who thinks he knows how the whole world works and everything is about computers and your anarchy, anarchy type of personality. Um, and then once I started university, it was, there was a whole bunch of other subjects that I was also interested in. Um, so it was just a case of explore as much as you want. Um, but every time I kept coming back to uh, computers, you know, like that whole hacking mentality was a nice blend of like human psychology and uh, computer engineering. So it allowed me to kind of play around in different areas and I didn't really see it as going down a single route, just kind of figured that everything was going to go the digital route at some point. So might as well get um, conversant in the language. Okay. So in terms of what you do for a living, I mean, you're a 
uh, sort of experienced product manager at a bank. Uh, is that something that you apply into your business? And, uh, or did you have to learn new skills because you realized doing this took a lot more than what you realized? Ah, oh, um, it's interesting because I'm actually in more in a design role at the moment at the bank. Um, I kind of started off in IT security, did development, went into business analysis, product management, and now I'm in design uh, and kind of blending the design and product role. And it's it's just that I, I kind of see myself more like a, what you call a polymath, where you look at different areas, different industries, and you look at different skills and try and combine those to see how they fit together. So right now in the design role, it's very much about user behavior, how people think, and trying to apply that in a technology sphere. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? What was your question? I got lost there. <laughs> well, no, it's all about unraveling uh, yourself. It's all about, um, for, for example, like, uh, you know my background. I, I mentioned yeah. I also did engineering long mm -hmm. ago. I worked in telecommunications. I worked in a lot of the very corporate, very enterprise type of stuff. B two, very heavy B two B stuff. Mm. You build your towers. You know, you do your operations at the back end and find out how the network operates. And then you do customer services on top of that and ensure applications can work on top of a four G network. Yeah, that to e-commerce and working on parenting platforms, working on a startup, <laughs> understanding how to build it with your wife versus uh, with colleagues at work who tend to not really see the world entrepreneurially. That for me was a huge jump. I had to learn. Mm. I had to go overseas. I had to spend some time with people who understood what equity meant, what, what convertible equity meant, how to build a startup, how to build a company from scratch and not just plug yourself into a big cog that was my big jump. So even though I may have applied some skills, I had to learn how to operate as a business, I had to learn multiple skills. Right. And in fact, you mentioned the word polymath. That is essentially the yeah. skills. In fact, most entrepreneurs are not masters of everything. They, they, they're master of a specific skill and, they, and they're also masters of networking. So they find the right people and then just network with people who have a complementary skill to work with them and they build something together. That's usually how it works. So I'm fine with the fact that you had to dabble in multiple things. We all have to do that. Since mm. when we started, I had to learn how to learn how to do the accounting. Then I had to learn how to do the WordPress websites so I could develop a website. Then I had to learn how to do the taxes and the returns. I had to do all that. I'm sure that's probably part and parcel of what I mean by what are extra skills you had to pick up in order to to bridge the gap from what you used to do at enterprise to a startup, which requires your uh, mental dedication in a very separate space. Yeah, but isn't that like the, the coolest part of it, right? Because yeah. it's, it's not like you have to learn one specific thing. You have to learn so many different things um, to the point that you actually have to learn how to learn better. Um, yeah. And, and it's all like these... You start in one area, you take a small step in another direction, and then you realize you have to go to another direction, and you leverage what you've learned already. Or like you said, you leverage yeah. the, the other people around you um, so right. that you can get more out of it. Um, 
and that for me is like the most fascinating part. So you asked about like what type of skills I had to, um, you know, to move into those roles, et cetera. And honestly, it's, it's just like this insane curiosity and um, being really driven to learn a lot, you know, um, I've constantly had that and enjoying it much more than when I was in school. Uh, so now it's just about whatever I find interesting. You just dive into it really deep and you notice that there's a lot of parallels between what you have learned before, like in a business, you're doing, um, let's just say marketing or sales, right? But you learn how the same type of skills you had to when managing a team and persuading stakeholders um, can be used in that sales negotiation. And you leverage all those skills to be better and, and improve yourself faster and faster. It's all about speed. Uh, that's actually one of my favorite things of doing this. In fact, when I learned these new skills, I didn't know this entire universe existed. And for me, <laughs> that was one of the liberating things. In fact, what would you count as the most profound thing you picked up jumping into the space? The one thing you could say, I'm so glad I did it. Um, one thing I learned jumping into the space. Yeah. There's, there's just something about doing things. Where, you know, there's that expression like um, you have to do the work to actually appreciate the value of a dollar, right? Where yeah. If it's just given to you, uh, you get the money, but if you've worked for it, then there's something that comes out of that that you appreciate that dollar more. So in the same way, there's something about just doing stuff in the real world as opposed to keeping it theoretical that you just get this insight or this return on that amount that you put in. And the only way of getting that is really by putting stuff out there in the world. So it, it's something we, any type of entrepreneurship site, whether it's, um, a course or whether it's someone who speaks from experience will tell you that, you know, like put it out there in the world and let it react to the world. But it's only once you actually do it that you understand that, that lesson really well. And that for me was the biggest part of it. I've always held back for a long, the longest of time. But once I started putting things out there, um, it just like really escalated my learning so much faster. So that for me is like, was like a really important lesson. Oh, I, I agree with that. Uh, the amazing feeling that you get when you realize what you've just been dreaming about is actually an amazing feeling. The fact that someone gets to use something you've been thinking about in your mind is, I think, I would agree, one of the most liberating feelings of doing something like this. Uh, imagine you thought of a, of a certain product that can do AI for voice recognition and you made it happen. Isn't that the most amazing thing? Uh, I, I, I cannot uh, agree with you more with that, for sure. Uh, in terms of building this, uh, perhaps you can go through with the different types of ideas you, you've gone through before you found something that really worked. Like, is there many times, or did you, or are you one of those guys you struck it lucky? You did first <laughs> time, it worked out. I wish. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you and I both know about how long the road is. And a lot of people, um, they get this romantic vision of what entrepreneurship is and what startup culture is like. They watch Silicon Valley startups or 
they read a TechCrunch article and they think it's all about that. You drop out of university, you have a great idea, you find your partner, uh, you build something, get investment, and next thing you know, you're rolling in the cash. Um, and then you get your movie made of you, obviously. But the, yeah, I'm waiting for the movie. Yeah, yeah the, the reality is that I think a lot of people don't see the other side of it. Not just the number of people that have failed at it, but even the people that are successful, how many failures there are in, on that road. You know, like, yes, you learn from it, etc. And it's no different from the stuff that I've done. Um, I've had tons of ideas. I mean, I think every entrepreneur kind of has like this book of ideas that they talk about um, where they've had noted down all these different ideas and tried building on it and keep changing. So I've had many of them, um, but in most cases, they've always stemmed around something that was frustrating me. So if something I found really annoying in life or I wanted to change, it was a case of saying, okay, how do I solve this? Because I get impatient waiting for somebody else to do it. So I try and solve it myself. And that's kind of how I come across whatever ideas or projects I want to work on. Um, those are the two that I'm focusing on right now. It's, it's the same situation where I couldn't find what I wanted out there. It didn't work for me. And I wondered why. So I tried solving it. You know, like it's, it's a habit. You can't help but solve things. Um, sometimes not always to, uh, for your own benefit. Um, try telling your wife a number of times about, oh, this could be done better. It uh, doesn't always work in your favor. No, no. <laughs> or it'll be end up being where I tell my wife about certain improvements and then she looks at me saying, hey, are you calling me fat? So I have to worry about that now. So, yeah. <laughs> so and it could be, it could be misconstrued. I, I, I hear you. Um, if you're able to, would, would you like to go into detail uh, in terms of what are you working on right now? What exciting thing is Jared working on? Okay, cool. Um, so I think the one you're, you're aware of was Tribe. Um, Tribe was basically, a, it's a digital wallet for scanning in uh, loyalty and rewards cards. Um, I started working on that because I don't like rewards cards, mostly because I don't like carrying a lot of stuff with me. Um, mostly it's just my cell phone, credit card, and driver's license. And every time I went to a shop, they would tell me, oh, download our app or get this app or whatever it is. And I, I don't like installing a lot of apps on my phone. So I just wanted one app that I could store all my cards. And there are options out there already, but it didn't fit the way I wanted the world to work because I wanted small businesses to be loaded over there, not just like your major loyalty brands like Discam or Woolworths, et cetera. So I started building that out and released the consumer side, which is available for people to download. Um, and then they can just add all their loyalty cards into it and carry it around with them. So when they go to the store, they can just get it scanned off the phone. However, then COVID-19 uh, hit and I didn't feel comfortable encouraging people to go out to the shop. So um, I put a pause on that. It's still out there, but I didn't work on it any further. And then the one I'm currently focusing on now that's getting quite, um, getting some legs is what's called Fika Time. So Fika Time is, is an app that helps organizations, um, especially if they're working remotely, to connect employees with other employees in the organization that they may not 
have spent time talking to. So I was trying to blend that whole idea of a coffee chat with someone to build a relationship combined with um, getting to know someone in your organization that you don't always meet, the water cooler effect. And that seems to be getting quite a lot of attention right now. So that's what I'm focusing on at the moment. Oh, interesting, because when you call it Fika, you call it Fika what? What was the name? Oh, yeah. So it's, it's called Fika time. And uh, it's based on the How do you spell that? Fika as in F for friendly, um, I for interesting, K for kind, and A for attitude. So Fika and then time as in look at your watch type of time. But, oh, yeah. okay, okay. Sorry, yeah, man. So, when you said Fika time, I, I thought you meant Fika like our financial... Oh, like, yeah. No, yeah. no. Um, so Fika <laughs> is it's a Swedish tradition, right? In Sweden, they have this uh, social phenomenon uh, where they would go and grab coffee with a colleague. And it's just like 15 minutes or so at a nearby cafe, uh, but you don't talk about work. It's just a check out of work and just have a relaxing coffee, share some conversation, human conversation, and then get back to work. So I really like that idea, but I wanted to extend it to solving the problem of people not understanding other people in their departments, like inclusivity, diversity, empathy. These are all big problems in the working world, especially now. And I didn't want to have this like really complex uh, HR tech, which is based on AI and machine learning and all those things. And I mean, we include some of that, but I didn't want it to be focused on that. I wanted it to be something that's based on human behavior, back to basics type of approach. And that's all it is. It's getting people to talk to one another, to understand another person and focus on that human conversation. That's well, I like all that. it is. Interesting that Fika that you mentioned connects people within the company, right? So if, if it's colleagues that you never meet within the company and you, and you have a coffee chat with them. Yeah. Um, so engineering meets sales, you know? Let people understand that they're a person as opposed to being a department or a job title. And we see that there's been a lot of research around this. You know, Google has done um, a, a research on their own employees and found that the most successful employees were the ones that did like one specific thing. And that was change up their lunch buddies. Um, because what it does is they end up understanding more of the other departments they get to align better with the whole organizational goals and they grow their network in a simple way, you know? So when you see somebody else, instead of it being this enemy of this other department, you get to see, Oh, I know that guy in that department. Um, let me speak to him. Or, you know, I, I know this lady who's in a different country and understand that their operations, they share the similar pains that we do in our country. So it helps break down those silos and help people build deeper connections. Because if, if you have that almost family vibe, you're more willing to go the distance for them. You know, That's it's fantastic. Like a financial transaction. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. I like that idea. In fact, I was, I'm a startup guy myself and I, my mind was also like going crazy when you, when you said all these things. And I thought, <laughs> hey, imagine if you could use this outside of work, uh, connect with people from different companies with similar interests exactly. uh, where you can meet, uh, make it social and have someone a uh, freelancer meet another freelancer in that way, yeah. or maybe a startup person needs to uh, meet someone who can be a potential co-founder for you, who brings complementary skills that you don't have. You can also use speaker time 
for that kind of stuff. So I can see uh, it could potentially expand beyond just within an enterprise yeah. board. So, um, yeah, at some point, being able to open it up so you have this type of LinkedIn meets Tinder type of situation and yeah. you get to measure people based on the interests that you want to understand. I want to understand from a, a person in a different organization or industry. I want to go into that industry, get to speak to someone from there and get to know them, building a real connection. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Okay, so you wanna, if you're able to, uh, this is also an open podcast, so we talk about stuff, but if you can't, don't worry. So let me know what kind of tech did you have to build and what kind of team did you have to get or what kind of skills did you need um, that you realized you needed as you were uh, fleshing out the idea? Sure. Um, so as simple as an idea as it sounds, um, as with anything, there's, there's a lot of work that has to go in and validation and research. Um, and a lot of that had to happen before we started building anything. And when I say we, um, it's my co-founder and I. He's uh, based in Germany at this point in time, but we've worked together for a while, um, about three or four years already. And we've tried, we built a few projects before we started on this one. We are building it on Microsoft Teams. We started off with Slack and then we moved over to focusing on Teams because of the, the corporate landscape and the type of traction that Teams is getting, Microsoft Teams is getting right now which seems to be working in our favor with the type of clients that we're going after. Um, it's both it, how deep into the tech stack do you want to go? Like, that could get pretty boring. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's sitting on top of AWS, we're using a bunch of different features there and sitting using Microsoft Azure. There's Google Cloud involved. So like we're using all the regular uh, players that you would in any type of tech stack, um, but solely focusing on Microsoft Teams, which is a challenge on its own. Uh, my co-founder is, is what you would call like a specialist in machine learning. So he's got that skill set, but at the same time, he's also, he's an MBA, Vitz uh, MBA boy as well. So he's got the business side and the tech side. Um, and likewise, on my side, I've got the technical background, but I had to put a lot more effort into the design and the research side of this. Like I focused a lot more on game theory and behavior economics to understand how can we get people to interact with each other. And there's a lot of work that goes into that, almost more so than the tech side of things. But yeah, that's pretty much the tech stack. Okay, that's interesting. That, that means uh, I can see a lot of operational strategy coming through. Uh, did you have to develop it or did you have people uh, developing it for you? Did that require funding or some sort of support that you required to make this happen? So what we're doing at the moment is it's, it's built internally. It's built by us. We own all the IP um, and the tech. Um, in terms of funding, we're bootstrapping it. Um, that hopefully changing soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we, we're focusing on just, you know, like we don't want to go the route of just getting in funding to grow the thing until it needs to. So we bootstrapping it as long as we can and focusing on it just being as profitable as, as profitable as it can be, you know, grow a, a good business and then we'll start hunting for investment. But right now we're just focusing on growing the business itself. Okay, so I've decided I'm going to help you. This one is called Fika Time. Yeah. 
because time I'm putting you on the sp- I'm giving I'm putting you on the spot. Do it. We are in the elevator. You are thirty seconds. Give me a thirty second pitch for figure time. Go now. Oh gosh. Okay. So I'm building Fika Time. It's a Microsoft Teams app that helps build trust in the organization and help employees connect better. Um, if I have to ask you how valuable that is, just look at the current climate at the moment. Uh, is your company working remotely or are they hybrid at this time? Answer the question. Okay, you still have 10 more seconds. You can say more. <laughs> Tell me, are you hybrid or are you remote or fully at the office? Like what's, what's the landscape at your office? Oh, for us, since we're a small yeah. company, I suppose it might not be needed because if I need figure time, I just WhatsApp my wife, right? Because <laughs> she's my colleague. She's in my business. So, oh, I must talk to my kids or I talk to my developers who worked on their two platforms uh, uh, remotely. So in terms of our communication, it's us, the co-founders who work from home. Then we've got the product developers, PR and marketing, all working in different offices because it's all remote. Okay, so let's take it from there, right? But forget the pitch and just answer the question of, you've got everyone working. It's a smallish team. They work in decentralized in different areas. And we say, how often do you actually speak to them not work-related? Not work-related? Ooh, it's actually very rare, except, of course, with my wife, uh, because uh, we live together. There's always non-work-related stuff. But with the colleagues, non-work-related, maybe once, maybe twice a month, we'll have a discussion. Maybe we'll have a, a random chat while we do a work update where we will tangent into some random non-work stuff as well. So we do that. Okay. So in a small organization where you probably speak to this, you know everyone who's in the business, it has a different value proposition compared to a large organization where you may not know everyone there, right? But in your yeah. organization where there's a few people, the, the value is really in having those close bonds, right? And trying to set up time to communicate with them and make that time, almost like a date night where you're forcing that time, um, is difficult. It's operational. It's, it's, it makes you have to live by your calendar. Now, what the Fika Time does is it'll schedule that for you automatically so that you know that there's dedicated time just to build those bonds and keep that relationship strong. And that's where Fika Time really has power in a small organization is that those existing bonds that you have stay strong and you don't fall by, they don't fall by the way because you have to schedule another meeting or it's a calendar thing where we only talk about work when we see people. It's less transactional. It means that somebody's willing to do more for you because they know you as opposed to it being, oh, because it's my job or because I'm getting paid for it, you know? And that's where you can actually pull out more out of people and get more value being put together in the organization. So that's where I think Fika Time could help you in your organization. How's that? Mm, I love it. Oh, I love that. I love the pitch. Of course, it's more than 30 seconds, but that's okay. I invited <laughs> the question. So it's all good. That's not sure. an issue at all. So now you mentioned it was fully uh, internalized in the sense that you own the IP, you, you are bootstrapping it. What's next? Let's say you've got all the funding you need in the world. Let's say everything's in place. What next? What's going to happen? What is Fika time going to look like by next year? By next year. Okay, so right now what we're doing is we're going into pilot. There's a pilot at one of the large banks in South Africa and uh, another small organization. So what we're doing is we're testing out how well it works in a large corporate and then at the same time in a smaller smaller SME. 
to see how the benefits come out. And we learn from that and apply. At the same time, we're talking to a number of large organizations and there's a lot of interest and we'll be moving into those organizations post this pilot. Um, if I had all the funding in the world, well, if I had enough funding, let's not say all the funding in the world, there'd be a lot more effort in terms of creating awareness around this, right? Because at this point in time, people are worried about costs. They're worried about what's going to actually contribute to the bottom line. And they may not put a priority on things that are like well-being or um, things that don't see like an immediate effect on that bottom line. So I would spend the money on creating awareness and, create, and educating people on that. A lot of the remote tools that are coming out now are about operations and about productivity, like the Zooms and the planning tools, et cetera. But the number one um, issues or even the top three issues around remote work has been around loneliness and well-being. And if you think of this remote work is not going to go away very soon. A lot of organizations are jumping onto the remote um, only decision. What's going to happen is we have all the tools in place to do it, but we don't have enough tools to focus on the well-being of those individuals in terms of how do you maintain that situation? Like I've been working remotely for the last three months. It's great. I love my family. I'm with them all the time. But sometimes the monotony of the exact same people is challenging. You know, we're not designed to be in isolation. Human beings require that interaction. They require variation. And that's the type of how I would spend the money. Uh, more on, first on educating people and then building up the tech to actually facilitate other variations of the product. You know, we want to do um, this thing where you can have the CEO meet any person in the organization. It's almost like a lottery. And what happens there is someone new gets a chance to meet the CEO and understand, you know, the direction of the company. Like, where would they get the 15 minutes with the CEO? At the same time, the CEO gets to understand the new blood that's coming to the organization and helps it make sure that the message going across is the, the right message. Gets to know the people that are coming to our organization and meet each person as opposed to only being flooded with the emails about big decisions. So that education is going to take a bit of time and I would spend the money there, but we'll also have to build up that tech. Um, yeah, we, afterwards, we're going to go international and we just uh, launched this app in the Microsoft Teams app store. Uh, called, I think it's called app source. And then we'll go from there. We'll see how it goes. We don't know what we don't know. So we'll have to figure it out as we go along. Okay. No, I hope, hope things uh, come out of this. So, when you've now that you've been through the process of building multiple different ideas, building and executing different things, you try to work with different people. My, me personally, I've, I've got some hell of a lessons learned about building companies. What would you like mm. to share as the biggest lesson learned based on a really bad experience when you realized this mm -hmm. is something so important you've got to get right? Like the biggest lesson you can share with us. Say that again. So the biggest lesson around what specifically? Around, around one of the biggest uh, down or failure or some sort of uh, depression you get out of it. The fact that you mentioned loneliness or the fact that trying to get this has difficulty. Let me give you an example. Me personally, mm -hmm. I've tried multiple ideas before I built this. One of the toughest things I've had is getting skilled developers on my ideas because in my interest, in my area, a lot of it is high tech. 
it means you need to understand R&D. You need to understand how to develop and test. Have people who understand the mathematics and the science of what they're building and not just how to code, but actually make yeah. something that has intellectual value. It's, it's been really hard to get people like that because most of those people are high-paid jobs somewhere and they have no time for you or you have to fly overseas and, and find them. That's been my biggest lesson is if you're going to do this, make sure you have the best developer that you can trust on your team. Otherwise, don't attempt it. That's my lesson. Like that, what would you share as your biggest lesson that you should always do right before you do anything, before you start this? What is one thing you, you have to do something properly? Uh, without a doubt, it's the people, right? It's, for me, it's finding the people that are committed. Like, it's one thing to find capable people. I think there's a lot of capable people. And I don't necessarily believe that you need to know everything or to be, like, super skilled in a specific area unless your tech requires that. Um but what I do require is that people are dedicated and committed and that they're trustworthy. It's not easy to find that in people. Uh, like you said, a lot of people are comfortable with a cushy job and they don't want to work after hours. I don't have to talk to you about the clock never stops when you're running your own business um, while working yeah. and trying to build a, a business up. It's, it's constantly like there is no weekends. There is no public holiday. I say today, um, is, <laughs> yes. you're constantly working. And in order for that to happen, you need people to buy into that. Like, this is a meaningful mission or that they, they buy into the idea of what you're trying to achieve. Whether it is, you want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or the next Brian Chesky or whatever it is, right. Or, the, or Jeff Bezos. The point is you, you got to buy into whatever it is and you guys have to build or, or girls, by the way, you'll have to believe that you're building something together meaningful. And it's not easy to find relationships like that very quickly. You know, we don't all have the dorm buddy that suddenly helps you build the next empire. Um, it takes time. And when you have life getting in the way of things, it will test you even further. So that's a hard thing to solve spend time on those relationships. Yeah, in fact, one of the things you mentioned is that you, you worked on previous projects with the same people before, before attempting this. So you have an experience of working together and then trying out something new instead of jumping into a big project for the first time with someone new that you've never worked before. Mm. I mean, I've tried that. Yeah. I've tried the jumping in thing. I think I've had maybe like so many tech co-founders or co-founders in general, there's been like 20 or so. And I've even done full circle where I've come back and the most strangest reasons you could believe um, why they couldn't continue. But that existing relationship just makes it easier to deal with when you have those challenges and you can rely on the person to focus on what they're doing while you focus on what you're doing. Because if you're going to micromanage every piece of the every step of the way, it's going to be hard to get things done. And what you want is speed, right? Like you just want to get things move forward and trust that they do what they do right. I don't want to define how success is reached. I just want to define what success looks like. And I can trust that you are going to figure out how to get there. That's actually something I've battled with. Maybe you can shed some light on it. 
I, I've got a vision of saving the world or landing on Mars or building a spaceship. Elon Musk is getting it right because he is getting people motivated because everyone sees the vision of what he's doing and people join up and he sorts it out. But us, you know, lemmings at the bottom, you know, yeah. who are still working up, trying to figure things out. How do you find people that you can motivate to join your dream when you're not Elon Musk? They don't know who you are. Yeah. How do you make them believe in you? Jeez. That's a tough thing. Um, I think you've got to buy it yourself. Like you've got to believe in the, the mission or the objective or what you're trying to achieve. Because it's hard to sell something you don't believe in. And yes. you've got to try and find this alignment, right? Like if that person's not going to want to get into it and they're not part, they don't see the point of it, then all it is to them is some type of money or some type of equity deal. And as soon as things get difficult, they'll leave. So finding people that are willing to join onto your mission and buy into the mission means you got to find some way to attract them. Like Elon Musk is famous for being a, a micromanager, you know, but at the same time, he's, he's putting a big object out there. It's a moonshot. It's, it's literally a moonshot and a Mars shot, you know? So He's, yes. Yes. They always say it's it's easier to convince someone about a more difficult thing than it is to convince someone about a a, a less difficult thing, like to sell uh, an easier solution. Because when I tell you, hey, Vijay, let's let's build a I don't know another shoe company, you know, then you're gonna be like this. Okay, what's our competitive advantage? You start getting to the numbers of the things, like the the little details that would. You just look at business operations, etc. But if I tell you, hey, VJ, let's let's look at a a shoe that just cruises on the air, like a hovercraft, you know, like the promise of what Back to the Future told us when we were kids. Let's let's build that. Um, so when I tell you that, and I put an ounce of believability in the way that we can achieve it, you're more likely to buy into that because that's something cool. Because at the end of the day, part of building something is you want to be able to tell people, I was part of that movement. I helped, you know, do that. It's the whole JFK story about asking the janitor what he was doing. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm helping put a man on the, mo- the moon. So it's the same story. Like people want to buy into a bigger mission generally, or they see it as a big cash out. And honestly, the cash out is it's attractive. But if you can't deliver on that, and most businesses don't deliver on that, then you need something else. And I think that's how you can try and buy, get buy-in from people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, selling the vision. I, I don't know how you've experienced it. My, my, my personal experience in this is uh, discipline. Uh, I, uh, the discipline has been an issue. Even if there is money on the table, they still can't do it right. Even if they still sufficient funding to make sure it can go for a year. There's always some issue. It's a motivational issue. Yeah. They, they don't just see the problem of the risk, but it's just either that or I'm hanging around with the wrong people or I'm talking to the wrong people. But it seems like the people that I've met who are, who are supposed to be in startups, who I know who are trying to build something, are trying every single person is trying to do their own thing instead of working together so everyone everyone's got their own big idea 
mm. and no one wants to work together and that's an issue so people don't have a common goal they all have their own goals that tends to be so diverse so diverse and so diverse divert what's the word when it's so vastly different and yet they're trying to work together and i don't know this whole steve jobs steve wozniak or bill gates and his other cronies that he worked with and the, the, the typical startup thing where you see these three or four dudes or boys and girls who been together since school working together build something that seems like a fairy tale <laughs> i don't know how to explain it it seems like it, i only see it in the movies yeah um look i i blame the current trend that's also happening at the moment like what 50 years ago if you had to say you are not going to be an entrepreneur and build something very few people would think that is a good option you know now like even 20 years ago everyone was going into like investment banking and stuff of out, out of ivy league schools right and now it's like all these schools are doing like entrepreneurship innovation disruption it's like all these buzzy terms you know i mean you hear large corporates talking about these type of we got to think like a startup then you realize this is this is buzz and because it's a buzz everyone thinks that they want a piece of that it's a gold rush they all want to go and grab a pen and go and check for, if they can find gold and that's the problem so now whenever you have a conversation with someone you have a conversation with somebody who also wants to have a conversation with you but for their thing so you're competing with everyone whereas before i think it was seen but as different you know there was you were seen as an outlier if you were an, were an entrepreneur now I, i can't look on twitter because everyone says i'm an entrepreneur i'm an entrepreneur how many entrepreneurs do you know that are like the idols in these areas list themselves as entrepreneurs you know so it's it's difficult it's going to be hard to find people that are willing to be committed and want to do stuff but it's it's just like in your business it's trial and error keep testing keep trying keep experimenting absolutely uh, i just feel sometimes the proof is in the pudding is build something of value and then invite people into it the people who yeah. are already in that industry can join you afterwards so i feel like where i found success at least moderately is to build something first yourself have some sort of traction and then bring people into it who are already in the industry and they work sort of part time with you and eventually cross over full time that has been the better formula especially for african entrepreneurs this yeah. whole silicon valley mark zuckerberg at 20 years old leave stanford and start something new you know that's it's all in the movies and that's i think like you mentioned people watch these movies they go to these motivational shows they go to these buzz buzzy words they learn it they absorb it and they end up trying to do all of it and they eventually they find out oops it's not for them and it's too late and that's the whole problem mhm yeah yeah there's like this youthful exuberance from um university students that think i'm going to drop out i'm going to build the next big thing and maybe they will but there's so much down the road that they have to figure out about those lessons about getting burnt trying it out partners that fail to deliver um having egg on your face when you can't put something out there you know and you know your point about getting um people that are experts in the industry after you built a bit of a track record it's it's been proven it works right because so i always you know the saying 
uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Right? Yeah. And I feel like in startups, especially, um, you tend to be that jack of all trades, master of none, because you wear different hats. But the saying is actually, um, originally it was jack of all trade, master of none is oftentimes better than a master of one. And that was, that's the Renaissance thinking, right? Like you need to have multiple disciplines and it works in a startup. But once you get to a certain point, then you need to bring in people that are experts in those fields to be able to drive it to the next level. And that's where building something out first and putting it out there and getting it to a certain point, you have to realize that maybe you're not going to be the person that takes it to the next level and decide what do you want more? Do you want the glory for yourself or do you want the, the product to be what it could be? And sometimes you have to realize it, it may require you not being that person that takes it there. And I guess it's just a case of yeah. commitment, you know, for some people. Like, I, I know partners that, that have been burnt, like my partner. He's tried things. He's been burnt. He's, he's gone through that road. So I know how he, he understands the value of how long this road is and that it might not materialize. And he's very specific about his time, the opportunity cost of doing it. But there are also <laughs> individuals that have done that and they don't go ahead. So personality as well sorry i cut you off what were you saying oh no no i i I, I let you complete that one yes i agree and that's the whole point now that we're sort of diverting a little (laughs) i want to ask you um okay before we divert if people want to get in touch with you if people want to learn more about fika time do you have a website or contact details you'd like to share with us so people can find out more about your product yeah sure um so if you want to know about Fika Time, it's www.fikatime.app, as an APP. Um, that's the website that you can find out more about the tool. Um, we're aiming at SMEs and large corporates. Um, that's where you get the most benefit out of it. Um, and for Tribe, it's www.triberewards.io. It's on the App Store. You could just search for or the Play Store for Tribe Rewards. Um, yeah, but still, those are the two apps, um, two products that I'm focusing on, mostly with Fika time right now. It's taking up my time. And it, it's just difficult to try and jump between two. You really have to time box. So Fika time is the one that's uh, got my full attention right now. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. Cool. I will share your website on the podcast link as well so people can click on it and be able to get in touch with you if they want to use it for their, for their small business or larger enterprise. Sure. That'll be great. Thanks, Vijay. My pleasure. Now for some fun. We are diverting. And I'm hoping I can uh, push in with the time you have at least two diversion questions that only Jared can answer. What is the purpose of life? Um, There is no purpose of life. It's It's a ruse. I'm a nihilistic person. I don't believe in that. That's still a good, that is still a purposeful thought, you know. Yeah. <laughs> having no purpose is still purpose. So that's so awesome. So I like the fact that you have it in a list. If the purpose is fulfilled, is there still a purpose? Like if a bomb has a purpose of exploding, once it's exploded, is it still a bomb? I guess it's no longer a bomb because <laughs> therefore, therefore, what you, therefore, in your nihilistic perspective, once man fulfills purpose, he ceases to exist. <laughs> or his purpose ceases. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so that's what basically you're trying to say. Interesting. 
view of events. I'm happy to talk to your wife about this. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about purpose not being real and with your nihilistic view, what is actually then more real? Mind or matter? Um, it's like oh, time and space. Um, <laughs> it's the same thing, just different interpretations, I would imagine. I don't think they are different. Matter as in all substance that has weight or stuff like that there uh, in a physics sense. And then mind is in like what, a psychological sense or a spiritual sense? What do you mean? Okay, so when people say mind over matter, the way you feel uh, is more important than the situation, which is sort of related to karma. So the way you react to the bad situation is actually your real situation and not the actual situation. Oh, I see. Right. So, so it's so, sort of like, so like, can you will yourself to be faster? Um, for example, if you, thought, if you walked around thinking that you are the greatest man, no one else could tell you, but you feel mm-hmm. greater. Therefore, what is real to you is being great, even if the rest of the world thinks not. Therefore, you, you prefer mind over matter in that case. Um, but so if you're a matter of a mind person, it means the real world, and I say real, I mean the substances that you can touch, has purpose in your life rather than what's in your mind. So what is, um, I was thinking what's the thing that Steve Jobs, right, and Jeff Bezos have it. Um, you know, the thing where, like, he can convince everyone and himself, the reality distortion field, that's what they call it. Um, because I see it as an ecosystem thing where you could want something so bad or you convince yourself, no, this is how it's going to be. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. And it will not make you the greatest, but you may be able to convince yourself so much that you are more effective that other people perceive you as more charismatic and effective, thus changing the, the outward things that you didn't actually have control over, but you influenced it. And that makes you appear like you are right. So it's an ecosystem issue. I think one can influence the other. Uh, neither rules. Unless I think that is Mr. Smalling has really Mr. Smalling to work on Fox News because <laughs> he, he can really divert the, the, the situation there, it seems, like how they do it on the news. So you'll do very well. <laughs> I, I can see Jared being a writer on his or not, you know, you know, <laughs> so everything about life. <laughs> Gosh. Cool, man. Thank you so much. I, I think that's uh, all the time we have. Thank you so much, Jared. Uh, I appreciate your time on this podcast. Is there anything else you would like to share with us that people don't know about Jared? Um, not really. People can get to know me if they want to get to know me. Um, I think, look, as much as we can talk about these things, every entrepreneur has their own path and their own journey, and you figure it out as you go. Um, my two cents is just from my perspective. But, yeah, I wish everyone luck. And thanks for having me on your show. It was great. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. And, everyone, thank you for listening. Take care. And bye. Cheers.